Welcome to Transforming Education, Leadership Lessons. This podcast is hosted by Northwestern College. We're bringing you thought leaders who are influencing education and the world around them. Each episode provides new leadership lessons so you can learn how to embrace your own influence. Leadership has nothing to do with title or position. That leadership has to do with impact. And the role of a leader isn't to create followers, it's to enable more leaders. Take away leadership qualities that inspire. I think good leaders really get people brought together around a cause and can inspire them to be better than they were yesterday or to do something great. Care about others. We need teachers out there that are caring and compassionate and are interested in the student beyond the discipline that they're teaching. Show people they matter. We don't have a bullying problem. We don't even have a gun problem. We have a mattering problem. By knowing you matter. You matter to yourself first before you can matter to someone else. So further your impact. When you just authentically love your students, I just don't think you can help but grow. Understand your core values. You can tell pretty quickly any core leader, whether or not he or she is there for the mission at hand for the people that they serve or whether they're there for themselves. And align your mission. Everything we do on campus, whether it's someone in the maintenance department or someone teaching in the classroom or to coach, uh, it should tie back to our mission of impacting students for the cause of Christ. Discover how to use your influence to inspire others. That is why the relationships is so critical in everything we do, because when people know you care about them, they know yet they have your best interest, and then it sinks in. Let's welcome our host, Gary Richardson. Thank you, Leslie, and thanks to all of you for listening to Transforming Education Leadership Lessons. Today, we will be leading through diversity with Dr. Val Stokes and Dr. Ron Franklin. Ron and Val were charged by Northwestern College to lead a vision for diversity throughout campus and beyond, and will share what this looks like for Northwestern. Ron has served as the Director of Multicultural Student Development for Northwestern and has recently accepted a position with Bethel College as Vice President for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. Val will continue to serve Northwestern as an associate professor of social work and take on the additional duties as director of academic diversity initiatives, where Dr. Stokes will lead and support diversity initiatives related to faculty, curriculum, and scholarship. Thank you both for being here. Thank you. And congratulations, Ron, on your recent completion of your doctorate. And so, therefore, the Dr. Ron Franklin, I'm happy to be able to say that. (laughs) First to put it on air, you are (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Would you mind helping us to get to know you a little bit better by sharing a little bit about your background, yourself, whatever you're comfortable with? Sure, I'd love to. I'm originally from Sioux City, the West Side area, and my parents were very intentional about our own education. I have two sisters. When they moved to Sioux City, my dad opened an open heart practice. He's Mm -hmm. a cardiovascular surgeon. They could have lived anywhere in Siouxland, but they chose intentionally to place us in schools that were to others considered probably disadvantaged, lower socioeconomic status, racially diverse, mm-hmm. honestly, kind of lower educational outcomes. So you would think, why would you do that? But my parents were intentional about wanting us to have racially diverse interpersonal relationships. And those friendships have stayed with me and changed who I am as a person. So I'm really grateful for their courage to do that. I don't think everybody would have done that. No, probably not. No. So that took wisdom on their part. And it drew me into who I am today. I think I'm a social work professor. I've practiced in social work for my whole lifetime and worked with those that are hurting, including with mental illness. 
and with just diversity in ways that people might feel that they've, they're struggling in life because of systemic racism. So I've worked in that in the real world as a social worker. And then also just with the diversity initiatives here at Northwestern. I think it's formed me partly into who I am. The other piece to who I am is I'm a wife. I'm married to Mike Stokes, who is our AV director here at Northwestern. No, I'm just a bit. Just a bit. (laughs) And he's fantastic. We've been married for 30 years. And so that's been a joy. We have four kids, two daughters who graduated from Northwestern. And our son is currently at Northwestern. And then we have a son who we adopted who came to be with us six years ago. So that's really a big piece of who I am now today. Six years ago, we literally, through God's divine intervention and his call on our family to care for the orphan and those who are marginalized and hurting, Mm -hmm. we brought in two brothers into our home that were undocumented Latino unaccompanied minors Mm -hmm. to live with us. One of those brothers stayed living with us for all six years. He just graduated high school. And he's living in his own apartment. And he just came over for dinner last night. It was good to hear how he's doing. But that's changed us and who we are. We're part of talking about immigration in a way that is different than it would have been had it not been so up close and personal to us. So the national conversation on immigration, we just see it from an insider view and relationship to Latino immigrants in the area is a very big part of who I am. Like today, there is a Festival Latino happening in Orange City, Iowa. And right after this, I will be going down to help set up it. So that's a bit part of who I am. There's a lot more to who I am, but that's some pieces. Yeah, thank you very much. And Ron, a little bit about you, other than uh, I'd like to congratulate you. You finished your doctorate work and are now Dr. Ron Franklin, (laughs) and I can say that. On, we're recording that, so it's official. Yeah, yeah indeed. Now the world knows. Huh? <laughs> um, yeah, in this very room about a month ago, I kind of finished that process. And so, yeah, happy to yeah, join some esteemed colleagues here like Val to, to be partnering with yeah, what we would call education, perhaps, for the common good, right? Doing sure. something that's bigger than ourselves and participating yeah. in God's redemptive work in that. And so uh, just a snapshot, though, for my life, my background, I was chuckling. I had never said this phrase out loud, but I went from bustling city streets to bushels of corn. (laughs) So I, (laughs) yeah, recently, it would have been as early as 2004 when I finished high school, transitioned to Northwest Iowa to to do my undergrad studies and um, have been here ever since. And I have a fond memory of a dear coach of mine. So I grew up in North Kansas City and Jim Heinrich, who is Kurt Heinrich's dad, kind of legend in Northwest Iowa. Played in the NBA, but prior to that was at the University of Kansas. So his dad came and coached my high school team while Kurt was oh, in sure. yeah, the University of Kansas. Okay. right? And so from that connection, he brought me and my team up to Harlan, Iowa, when we were in high school to compete in a tournament that we made it to the championship and then lost to the, the home team. Uh-huh. Harlan was really good at the time. Yeah. And I will never forget walking out after one of the games, looking over cornfields as we were taking a break from the hot gym throughout the summer. Imagine that outdoors was cooler than the inside. They didn't have AC in the building at the time. But I looked over the cornfields and said, I don't know how people do this. I will never (laughs) live here. And your chuckles, like God's probably, (sighs) right, suggested that there was a different plan for me. And so, as I said, growing up, I had the opportunity to function in between spaces. And so I rode to school in the morning with the poor kids and on the bus, right, and kind of public transportation. 
and then after school with the rich folks. So there were specifically a really good friend of mine. His dad played in the NFL for the Chiefs. And so mansion living and high quality vehicles were like the post school uh, experience. Right. So on the bus in the morning and then luxury vehicles in the, in the evening. But education in the midst of that, specifically teachers for me, are the people who really changed my yeah. trajectory in terms of what society had projected for who I was in the world and what I was to be. And this conversation about teachers and leadership and education is really significant for me in that reason because teachers changed my life and the trajectory of it. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that. So tell us a little bit about your new positions here at Northwestern and share why embracing diversity is so important. Sure, yeah, I can speak to our roles really quickly. Val and I have kind of mirrored roles in a sense. So we are both directors. Val's focuses specifically on the academic side of mm-hmm. the institution, and mine is perhaps a broader sense of looking at the institution across all of its sectors. And so my role is Director of Strategic Diversity Initiatives, which means I get to hang out with a whole lot of cool people and find out what they have going on in each of their departments. And then specifically looking at how diversity actually can be leveraged as an opportunity Mm -hmm. for us to become inclusively excellent. And we'll probably get more into what that terminology means, but I'll share maybe a brief definition as it's kind of suggested by the AAC and you. It's ensuring that we are (laughs) pursuing excellence in ways that include everyone in that journey. Because, in fact, if we are excellent, that should be a characteristic, right? Our excellence should include everyone who is associated and connected with us all toward making the world a better place, which also means we have to admit and analyze ways in which we are not inclusively excellent, right? And so we can talk racial disparities, socioeconomic disparities, educational achievement and attainment retention, all of those things are involved, right? And if we're speaking with leaders and administrators who are managing in educational spaces, right, that's a significant characteristic for us Mm -hmm. to be thinking about. What does it look like for us to be an inclusively excellent institution? Right. Because we have honor students and we have high-performing programs and high-performing athletics perhaps, but the question we also need to consider is who is a part of those pieces of the puzzle, right? So that's maybe a, a brief start to a lengthier conversation on what it, what it might mean for leaders to be mindful of being inclusively excellent. No, I think that's really good. And I think in something that I'm reading right now, which by Cornelius Minor, we got this, one of the phrases in the book, when data shows us the gap and it's on a certain demographic of people, mm-hmm. it's not that demographic of people's mm-hmm. fault. Mm-hmm. It's something within the system mm-hmm. that is not providing the justice that Mm -hmm. needs to be. Mm -hmm. And you're right, it's probably a bigger conversation, Mm -hmm. but you bringing that up made me want to jump in with that phrase. It's Mm -hmm. just fresh on my mind now, so so I appreciate that. And Val, your new role, what will you be doing? I will be working directly with faculty and supporting them in culturally responsive pedagogy and inclusive teaching strategies Mm -hmm. in the classroom. So I will be directly working with faculty, but I also will be doing work that's more systemic as well, looking at our academic structure, helping us to think about curriculum for faculty development. Yeah. I will also be you know, engaging faculty on topics of race and privilege and equity and inclusion as we meet together to discuss how that might right. infuse into our different disciplines and how each academic department might develop their own diversity standards for themselves and for their program and then begin to develop what's called diversity action planning for the art institution. Mm -hmm. And I think that translates to all educational settings that 
diversity initiatives can't be housed just with one or two people. Mm -hmm. It needs to be infused throughout the entire institution. You want to be thinking about not just your chief diversity officers, but you want to think about how can we support the thriving of our faculty of color? How can we Mm -hmm. support all of our faculty in developing who they are and their understanding of these topics? For us, it's really strategies of inclusion. It's deeper than that. It draws on an understanding of who God is and his character and how he has for us to live and be in this Mm -hmm. world um, related to things like human flourishing. Similar to what you were saying, if there's a whole group of people that is not meeting a standard, why would that be? Like, it's okay Mm -hmm. to ask that question. And that doesn't lead to human flourishing. That's a disparity. That's a Mm -hmm. gap, like Ron said. And we need to have an eye for that if we want to have excellence, inclusive Mm -hmm. excellence in what we're doing as educational leaders. Well said. Thank you. We are visiting with Dr. Val Stokes and Dr. Ron Franklin, who are leading the diversity efforts at Northwestern College in this episode of Transforming Education Leadership Lessons. So we talked a little bit about the why of embracing diversity. How do we equip leaders or faculty members who are leaders to embrace this vision in our settings and the expectations for cultural competence? Yeah, it's a good question. How do we equip? I think there's a number of things. First, I am a huge Simon Sinek fan, Mm -hmm. and this Mm -hmm. idea of starting with why is really critical. So I know even the direction of our conversation is wanting to get to kind of the checklist items, but one of the really important ones is understanding why might this be important for a leader, for an educational institution, and for a place like us who is rooted in a mission connected to the gospel. Why is that essential? And then I think that colors how we function together in community. And so one of the things I think we often jump to is thinking about excellence or inclusivity being about the way we look, right? So we want more people of cultural, ethnic, and racial backgrounds who are different, maybe even gender from time to time, right? We want more of those people with us. And I I don't think that's all bad in and of itself, but here's something I've been toying with in my toolkit in my brain is thinking about what if optics meant more than just the way that we see or the way that we appear, but also the ways in which we see. So how we see, how we are seen, but then also this other transition or leap that's might suggest as necessary is operations, right? So optics and operations, how we see with the optics, how we are seen, again, optical, then how are we operating? And that's something that has to do with the way that we function, the way that our systems are built to perhaps do things like equip us. Because unfortunately, most of our programs, right, even as I completed my own related to organizational leadership in in education, there were maybe two courses that I would be able to suggest had an intentional focus on the conception of even what culture is. So there's scholars all over the world, but most often, right, the way that we are groomed is, we can say this confidently, right, usually from a white male perspective. So even as I was prepping for this conversation, I'm thinking of folks like Cotter and Michael Fullen, and those are the people who have kind of infused my optics for how excellence should function and how I should serve as a leader. And then I'm humored in thinking like, wow, I kind of forgot even if I had anyone influencing my perspective on leadership that wasn't a white male. And so those are, those are some of the things I think that are important for us moving forward, even as we imagine equipping ourselves, especially at Northwestern, to envision our diversity. 
right? I, I think we have to slow down and think about our why, right? And be able to articulate that both as an educational ne- necessity and as a missional necessity. And then be thinking about, yeah, what does it mean to be inclusively excellent? And how does that apply then to my work? And then we can talk about pedagogical strategies and the content of our courses in terms of the authors that we use and the ways in which we sure. educate each other in the classroom. Top that, so, Val. So good. I'm just like, so good. I disagree with everything Ron just said. And then just a bit to get granular, mm-hmm. when I think about working directly with a teacher or with a faculty member, Ron's helping us to see organizationally, strategically, mm-hmm the ways in which we might begin to think differently about who we are, not just how we are up here, but how we are together and how we live and breathe and be together. You know, my work is going to be just more direct with teachers and faculty. And so I'm aware that sometimes when people think about diversity, they feel inadequate or they feel like it's maybe it's even a trigger word for Mm -hmm. them or there are trigger Mm -hmm. words related to topics of diversity. Here, here. Mm -hmm. And so... As my background in mental health therapy, it connects with me. When people get triggered, they're Mm -hmm. activated in their body system and they become unable to take in new information and to make that change to how they might live and work and be in a way that is inclusive and does create inclusive excellence. Mm -hmm. So safety is actually a really just functional, important first point of starting with people helping our teachers and our faculty as educational leaders to feel safe to share when they don't know how to speak about something to speak about diversity in their classroom or they feel like they've had an encounter even a microaggression in the classroom and they did not know how to handle it and so allowing them to process Mm -hmm. out loud Mm -hmm. with a safe Mm -hmm. person is is just important to make organizational change So we need safety. And then I was also thinking, too, like we need safety and challenge. Kind of there's a tension between those two things in my mind. We don't want to just stay in our comfort zones. You know, we want to push ourselves to think differently, to think, to pursue excellence. So that means we need a little bit of challenge as well. Right. So maybe challenging some of our assumptions Mm -hmm. that it's not just about optics. That would be challenging an assumption. It's not just about our students. It's about ourselves. It's about the way we think and the way we see the world. So I would say that's part of equipping is really getting granular and walking with people is part of how we make change happen in our institutions to foster inclusive excellence. Well, two things as I, as I listen, and one is as you begin your roles in this venture on campus, is to have people understand the why of Mm -hmm. the initiative. Mm -hmm. And then the other, Val, that you said in the class I teach her as a leader, Mm -hmm. one of the articles is written by Amy Edmondson. It's called Psychological Safety, Mm -hmm. of which in systems, Mm -hmm. and my work has always been in an educational system, a school system, that there are those systems that don't have psychological safety. And so Mm -hmm. then your ceiling is not very high. And how the people within the organization feel is what you had referred to before is that it triggers something that isn't positive and, and mm-hmm. doesn't allow flourishing. Uh, that was really good. The tone of, of what you're going to do instead of, yep, we're kind of coming. <laughs> this is what we're going to do. You just made a great point, Ron, is that we're, you can't check off the things that are invested and feel like there's a relationship 
and there's psychological safety. Right. Yeah, real quickly, yeah. there's two things. We've tried to simplify even this, what is a one-page vision for diversity? In our work with students, we recognize we even needed to make that more accessible. And so what we talk about, and this might be the tweetable moment for folks, right, is building belonging and dignifying difference to the glory of God. And so I don't know how we might start to apply this in our educational context, but that's foundational, right? It taps into this psychological security where when we feel a sense of belonging, we can be ourselves, which then allows us to the freedom Mm -hmm. to enhance our environment because God has gifted us with perspective and ideas and talents, right? That when they can be received by our community, the learning is enriched, Mm -hmm. right? The teaching is enhanced, right? And so if we can build belonging, then we can also do what would, you know, I'd suggest is next is dignified difference. Like we value your perspective and your lived experience. And in fact, it helps make our learning and our living communally better. And we understand in this Christian educational environment that that brings glory to God because it's both excellent and it's inclusive. Mm -hmm. So both of you, what will it look like to have a multicultural and inclusive Mm -hmm. campus climate if you were going to succeed in your positions? Mm -hmm. I'll T-Val up. There's four (laughs) factors that are necessary for us to be leaning into as it relates to diversity in education. And specifically, that includes access and equity. So assessing, right, who has access to the best of our educational experiences, both in society, but maybe even more particularly at an individual institution, right? Who's in the honors programs? who's in STEM programs and et cetera, right? Looking at access and equity in that way. And then there's learning and diversity. So what are we expecting for all students in their preparation for a multicultural and inclusive world, right? Are we educating our constituency so that they are ready to be leaders themselves in the environment that's more interconnected and interdependent globally even, right? And then we have this idea of research and scholarship. So what are we studying? What are we writing about? What are we talking about that is actually improving the literature, perhaps, right, on diversity, equity, and inclusion? And then the last piece of the puzzle is the multicultural and inclusive campus climate. And that's kind of your feeling. What's the sensibility? Who does feel like they belong and are fully part of the institution And how is that evidenced? So those are the four that we have to be mindful of, even as we want to explore Hmm. the more granular kind of specificity. We we need that overarching framework to help us. But Val, you want to speak to the specificity of the multicultural and inclusive campus climate? One of the things about a campus climate of inclusion would be that, as Ron said earlier, a sense of belonging, a sense that a student can explore an area of research and they don't feel that they are limited by not understanding how protocols work. If you're a first-generational student, for example, a first-generation student, you may not understand how processes work, the forms you need to fill out, Mm, or just how things function at a place. And so you may not think, oh, I can pursue that line of research because I just, just don't know how. Inclusivity means that we are careful about our language, we're careful about our imaging, we're careful about creating access for people to explore who they are and their intellectual capacities, at least at the college here, and I would say at any level of education. So inclusivity is about belonging and about the flourishing of the individual, but we need to make that possible to think through how our systems function. Sure. So You've been involved in a lot just to get this off the ground and mm-hmm. approved and 
the vision for diversity on campus has, has been something that when I was reading about your journey to get to where you are now, policies that you've developed are a model, if not regionally, the country in this mm-hmm. area. Would that be correct? And if that is correct, can you just take us through that a little bit, how that worked out? Yeah, I remember the day when Ron and I were sitting in his office. We were the co-chairs of what was called Merck at the time, our multi-ethnic resource committee, and now it's our diversity resource committee. And just realizing, similar to what Ron was saying earlier, that we're moving forward with these little pockets of initiatives and, and moving forward with things that we're doing, but we don't have our why set yet as an institution ourselves. We need the why first. Why are we doing this? Literally that moment set the trajectory for developing our vision Mm -hmm. for diversity. And we knew, again, it can't be housed just with two people. Mm -hmm. It has to be infused all across who we are. Mm -hmm. It was a huge process of developing. We had like four different meetings Mm -hmm. in a room called the Vogel Room, which is our beautiful room with trees and sunlight. And we invited faculty and staff and administration and students to gather to think through what is diversity? What does it mean to you? And what is God's call to diversity? And we had a series of strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats process. Many know about that in, in educational leadership. And so we sure. used that kind of framework to guide our discussions. And then qualitative researcher, Dr. Chris Hausman, mm-hmm. brought that data together. And then we developed a team that pulled all that information. And that's how the writings happened with mm-hmm. the vision for diversity. And then we went back, back in to everyone who participated and said, do you feel like this honors Mm -hmm. our conversation? And that's how it transpired. And then we were able to go to different conferences. Mm -hmm. Maybe Ron can speak Mm -hmm. to that and share that with others to try to encourage others not to just, you know, you wouldn't use our same document, but to do a process like that. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's who you are. Now, I think for me, maybe one of the most memorable pieces that we dedicated ourselves to was that the process was as important as the product. People often want to talk about the product, and it's really significant because it connects to who we are and our why and then how it can guide us moving forward. But truthfully, the process for us is what made all of the difference. And at this point in time in Northwestern's history, it's actually a moment to revision that Envision Diversity process. And I say that intentionally because it had a name, right? It has a campaign about it, which in Cotter's model, right, it kind of creates this energy which then involves leadership and a campaign and invites people in and takes in perspectives and takes those perspectives seriously. And then we produce right this result at the end of it. But it was really important for us to slow down and think strategically about how could we do this as a community, as opposed to Val and Ron's beautiful sure. idea of how diversity should function at Northwestern. Right. It resonated with a lot of people outside of here and mm-hmm. very impactful. So yeah. that's very impressive and mm-hmm. glad that you are here and are leading that for us. So I want to ask a couple things. Just what are you curious about right now in our world of education? Yeah, that's a good question. Goodness, Cotter all over my brain right now. He has this change book coming out soon that talks about leading in the midst of adverse and challenging okay. situations. Mm-hmm. And that for me is really compelling given our social political context, not only in the United States, but globally. Right. How do we function and live well alongside folks who are differently abled, physically built, intellectually engaged, politically inclined? How do we do change in this new world in the wake of COVID, social unrest and change? And 
I think that's a really important consideration to have right now. And for me, it led me both in my research and kind of future practice to be engaged with this concept of cultural intelligence. And so probably a conversation for another podcast, but cultural intelligence is uh, specifically looking at the ways in which we can effectively function in situations that are characterized by cultural difference. I piggyback on that because the thing I was thinking, I'm curious about how the world of educational leadership will stay relevant for our new generation Mm -hmm. of leaders. Mm -hmm. I had a conversation with uh, one of our graduates yesterday related to we're developing a Northwestern diversity statement for our syllabi Mm -hmm. and just asking that young new leader for some feedback. And the feedback that he gave related to that made me think of this question right now. What am I curious about is that how are we going to help our next generation engage in controversy, Mm -hmm. similar to what Ron is Mm -hmm. saying. There's so much controversy out in the world, and it's like either or, and people are staking claims. And How will we begin to teach students to engage and not shy away from discussing controversial issues? My pastor actually provided a metaphorical way that I teach in my classroom that's been so helpful to me personally, and it's experiential, but if I can describe it, of helping people talk and discuss controversial issues where we hold different views and where we feel differently about things. So there's, you know, a differential and diversity of thought between us is that I can take my hand and imagining if you can see my hand holding it in a fist, Mm -hmm. but I put that hand in a fist and I put it to my heart and that's my conviction. I'm holding a conviction to my heart because I truly believe X, Y, Z, whatever it is. And we want people to hold to their convictions. Mm -hmm. We want people to have beliefs and values and ways of living. And we want to honor that. Mm -hmm. But we also want to be able to extend our other hand out to hold someone else's hand. So Mm -hmm. if I hold Ron's Mm -hmm. hand, then I'm connected to him. It extends amount of Mm -hmm. grace. I feel a sense of him. And I will listen more carefully Mm -hmm. to his perspective and his needs and his worldview and his way of seeing difference from mine. That process of doing that, holding to my conviction, not letting go, but reaching out my hand and holding another's and listening to their way of thinking about this issue or the world, it can change both of us. Mm-hmm. That was powerful for me. And I teach that in my classroom. And we, huge differences of thought, then we take a moment and we do that practice with each other. Very good. I've referred to the book before, and while you were talking, it made me think about it comes down to leadership on how we do that. Although the new leadership is walking beside and supporting and encouraging and providing resources is certainly a way to lead that Mm -hmm. is a little more contemporary, but we still are caught in the vacuum of leaders that are full of power and compliance. Mm -hmm. In some schools, the phrase is, I could embrace fearful compliance or knowing crippling shame. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I think we grew Mm -hmm. up in those environments. Mm -hmm. And then the verbs that we enact in those systems are obey, control, and punish. And we're pretty good at it. Mm -hmm. And I'm a product of those Mm -hmm. and actually led in a similar manner in my early principal days, Mm -hmm. not knowing any better, should have, but trying to evolve into how do you lead without threatening or without hanging something over someone's head. And so what you just said, Val, is very powerful. And and not only powerful, but a good process and strategy to have and Mm -hmm. as part of what you do on a daily basis. Talked about what I'm reading. What are you guys reading right now that might be of interest? A couple things that come to mind. Contact theory 
it's not a book, but this is a way in which we can start to understand how diverse groups can come together and function well. And so this kind of taps into a bit of a checklist. But if we are imagining functioning alongside people who are different mm-hmm. than ourselves, contact theory with Allport suggests that we need to have four things in mind. The first is that there is a shared sense of purpose or mission that brings the people together. The next piece of the puzzle is having equal status in the sense of even if there is a hierarchical difference right between president and their you know constituents, sure. can we function in a way in which that status is equal for perhaps a time as we're attempting to solve problems, right? And then the next piece of the puzzle is thinking about the nature of personal relationships, right? Who are you connected with and how might you gain from hanging out with some different people, right? That provides you with a different perspective or worldview on how things function. It's like the holding on to convictions while shaking the hand of another. And then the last piece of the puzzle is looking at leadership in terms of being exemplary and in that space, I'm reminded of Kuzas and Posner, who suggest that leaders model the way they inspire a shared vision. They challenge the process and enable others to act while inspiring the heart. Right. Nice, and yeah. so you're probably catching this about me. Those little pithy things, they really get stored inside at least my brain and my heart. But in addition, we have this incredible servant leader who was exemplary, who flipped the hierarchical structure upside down, who we are suggesting we are following. And so what then does it look like to lead in the ways in which Jesus leads? And so what am I reading? Actually, my challenge to myself and perhaps to others is to pay attention to how leadership is functioning throughout the scriptures. Thank you, Ron. Some things I'm reading right now, I'm reading a book with my church at Trinity Mm -hmm. in Orange City, Mm -hmm. and it's called The Liturgy of Politics, Spiritual Formation for the Sake of Our Neighbor by Caitlin Mm -hmm. Schleiss. And we're meeting via Zoom and we're unpacking that book, it's really a book for those that are weary of the political battles that we're seeing out there today. And the author is really helping us to think about how we're shaped by our habits and our practices mm-hmm. and how we can think about our Christian practices that shape us according to the truth of the gospel. The other book that I just got in, my husband knows that I'm ordering books all the time. So <laughs> is that another book, he will say, that's coming in probably from Amazon. But I just ordered a book called No Longer Stranger. Transforming Evangelicalism with Immigrant Communities by Eugene Cho and Samira Isdell Page. I am very eager to read it. I've not read it yet, but it's right there on my counter. And it's really thinking about if we actually believe in the sovereignty of God and his hand in moving people around in the world, at least for the believer, we want to ask, what is God up to and how can I sure. be a part of it? And how can I equip myself to respond to God in a godly, faithful way to suffering and displaced people? So I'm eager to read that book. (laughs) Last one, Fierce Conversations by Susan Scott. Mm -hmm. It's very good, (laughs) Mm -hmm. very good. Thanks to Dr. Ron Franklin and Dr. Valerie Stokes for giving of their time and sharing their wisdom as we reflect on leaders that inspire and influence education and our world. Some of the highlights from the conversation would include what inclusive excellence is on an educational campus and how we build belonging and dignify differences as well as how we lead systems through diversity and embed these principles to become routine. We also learned that Val is reading The Liturgy of Politics, Spiritual Formation for the Sake of Our Neighbor by Caitlin Schleiss, and No Longer Stranger, Transforming Evangelicalism in Immigrant Communities by Eugene Cho and Isadel Page. Ron recommends Fierce Conversations by Susan Scott. Again, thanks for listening to Transforming Education, 
leadership lessons. As a leader in education, you matter, and how you lead matters to a whole bunch of people that you serve on a daily basis. You were created for significance. As always, a special thanks to Leslie Stover for co-hosting this with me, as well as pushing the podcast out to various sites, and to Mike Stokes for his technical and editing help in making this podcast a reality. For Leslie, Mike, I'm Gary. Until next time, inspire and influence.